Welcome to the Sanity Pod, honest human stories from the front lines of startup life. Our mission is to normalize the ups and downs of creating something from nothing and the challenges common to every leader, such that we might all feel a little less alone in the journey. In our first season, we are focusing on stories and tactical advice from leaders guiding organizations through the coronavirus crisis. Welcome. We are so glad you're here. Sorry, just uh, hanging blankets in my garage because I wasn't quite thrilled with the uh, audio experience that was coming out. So oh, thanks for your patience. <laughs> I hope my closet uh, is okay. We'll find out. It sounds great. Yeah, it sounds great. How is your closet? Well, there's a lot of hanging stuff in here. So if that's the secret to success, then it's perfect. Today, I'm very excited to welcome one of my favorite founders, Meg Rose. Meg is the founder and CEO of Roxbox, one of the category leaders in D2C and online jewelry. Roxbox has faced some unique challenges recently, including having their distribution center shut down by shelter-in-place orders, facing a sudden unavailability of new capital, and going through a difficult round of layoffs. Meg shares her story about these very recent challenges with tremendous humility, clarity, and grace. I know you will find her story fascinating. I can't wait for you to meet her. Quick requests for you, our listeners. Please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. Your positive reviews are our lifeblood. If you have any questions or topics you'd like covered on an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. And now back to Meg. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, I'm excited to be here. Um, I love this idea. I love this concept and I love talking to you. So it's great for me. Beautiful. I love talking to you too. And I'm excited to be here with you. I would love to start with giving you a chance to just share a little bit of background on who you are and about the company that you've started. And we'll go from there. Okay, great. My name is Megan Rose. I'm the founder and CEO of Roxbox. Roxbox is a jewelry rental membership service. We're based out of San Francisco. I started Roxbox almost eight years ago. Before that, I was a consultant. So I worked at Bain and McKinsey, both actually, uh, with large consumer retail companies in their product innovation and marketing strategy. I kind of ended up here as a founder of a consumer company, because I think for two reasons. One, I think I just am somebody that doesn't like to follow rules in general and kind of likes to be in charge. And so that led me to always wanting to start my own business and always thinking differently about things. And two, I've always been super passionate about consumer behavior and sort of understanding how people make decisions and building experiences that make people really, really happy and thinking differently about what those experiences can and should be. I was working at McKinsey in New York when I came up with the idea for Roxbox, and it really was inspired by my own experience as somebody who loves wearing jewelry and feeling like this was a category that nobody was really thinking about from the consumer perspective. I used to go to my girlfriend's place in New York and borrow jewelry. We all would go to each other's place before going out or before a big day at work and kind of raid each other's accessory closet. And I just thought, why can't shopping for jewelry be as awesome as borrowing my girlfriend's jewelry? And so I thought I wanted to create an experience for people who love jewelry like me 
um, that felt more like that. So I left McKinsey and I started Roxbox. I, I was going to also add, I'm also a mom of three kids, as you know, and that is a big part of my, who I am too. I'm excited to hear that layer of the story of being in lockdown, because I know that there's a CEO piece to that story and also a, a mom and partner piece to that story. So definitely excited to spend some time on that. And, and not just a mom, you're also a new mom for the third time. Yeah, I'm a new mom for the third time. And it's always different and new. I have a five-year-old little boy and a two-year-old little girl and a almost five-month-old little boy. So yeah, here we are, end of April, middle of the quarantine, and it's been quite an experience. Um, you know, there are a lot of silver linings to it, um, and there are also a lot of challenges, but um, being a mom and being a CEO, I don't know, it's sort of interesting. I think when I became a mom, or when I had kids, a lot of people would ask me, you know, is it hard having kids, being a mom, and also being a founder? And of course, it's hard. I mean, of course, there's a lot of balance that you have to do. Um, but there are also actually a lot of really wonderful things about it. And there are a lot of things that I've learned about being a great leader um, that I've learned from being a parent. Um, and it's forced me to, I don't know, just have obviously more balance and that sort of thing. But I will say in this quarantine environment, there were times where I really felt like for the first time kind of disadvantaged as a parent and a founder, where I thought, I don't know how I'm going to make it all work. And we've managed to make it work. So it's been an incredible learning experience. But certainly, I think part of my story as a founder in quarantine definitely does include the parent side of things, too. I'm excited to get there and spend some time on that. I know that it's going to feel relatable to a lot of people listening. Before we do, just to set the stage, would you mind perhaps backing up six months or so and just giving us a flavor at the end of last year for what life looked like at Roxbox. Tell us a little bit about the team, how the company works, how many people are involved. And I think that'll help us understand a, a lot of the challenging decisions that have uh, come to the forefront for you as we've found ourselves in a very different reality in 2020 than what you and the team were envisioning. Six months ago, I had a two-week-old. My son was actually born six weeks early. I had a two-week-old and we were in the middle of a financing process. Roxbox is a jewelry rental service. We raised our Series A in 2016. We've been growing really nicely since then. We sort of evaluated along the way, do we want to raise another round or do we want to get to profitability and go on this path on our own? But something happened over the course of kind of the last 18 months, which is that rental has become a really hot part of the consumer space. Um, and so we realized that we started getting a lot of inbound interest and we had a lot of strategic interest. And we realized there was a, a great opportunity for us to um, turn on the gas, find some strategic partners, explore financing, um, given the market that we were in. And so that's the path that we started to pursue last year. We were having a lot of great success. As I mentioned, I was pregnant at the time and Jackson ended up coming a little bit early. So I remember he was born the day before Thanksgiving and I was supposed to have management presentations lined up. We had management presentations sort of lined up the following week, the week after Thanksgiving. So I was in the hospital, you know, sending these emails, trying to reschedule management presentations um, and also trying to be present for 
having this baby. But at the same time, you know, it was an exciting time. Things were really coming together. It was exciting to start to think about what the next chapter of Roxbox was going to be. And there were the the vision for Roxbox has always been we wanted to own jewelry. We wanted to we really wanted to sort of think about creating a Sephora of jewelry where the shopping experience was based on giving people who love jewelry the opportunity to touch and feel the product. And through these financing opportunities and partnership opportunities, we really were starting to wrap our head around a whole new chapter of the future for us that um, was was pretty exciting. And so, you know, my head was still there a little bit, even though my head was also in this world where I was welcoming this new person into our family. So through December, we kept plowing forward on that. I took a little time at home, but also kind of kept these conversations going. And then coming into the new year, those conversations really started to heat up, which was really exciting. And um, we were amping the team up for those things. It was, uh, you know, it's great. It's always great to sort of start thinking about, okay, when we get some capital and we get these partnerships behind us, what's going to happen next? Unfortunately, the reality that we all know is then in March, things started to shift pretty dramatically. And that did have an impact on our business. It had an impact on the reality of, okay, well, are we really going to close a deal right now? whether it's financial or strategic, are we really going to close some of these um, inventory partnerships? And so we had to just think differently about the reality that changed, you know, in a matter of, of weeks, really one to two weeks, kind of everything changed. And at that point, I started thinking about, okay, how do we keep the possibility alive for some of these large scale partnerships? Uh, because this sort of thing really would be an inflection point for us. Closing one of these deals would be a pretty big inflection point for us. And we wanted to keep that possibility alive while also at the same time, there's a completely new path, a new reality that I needed to think about, which was, okay, what if this doesn't close? And what if we, our warehouse gets shut down or our revenue gets shut down for weeks or months? Um, how do we survive through that? Um, and so that was sort of what was going on for a lot of people. And Roxbox and myself included in kind of late March, so a month ago. I want to stop you for just a moment because I think a lot of people have these specific days or moments where they realize just how real this COVID thing was going to be in our lives and in our businesses. And I'm curious if there was a day or a moment there for you and um, what that was like just going through that mental transition from thinking about a year that was going to be defined by these strategic partnerships and by growth and suddenly realizing that this year was going to be a lot different than what you and the team had envisioned. Yes, there were a, a few. I mean, I think for me and maybe for others too, there were a few different moments here where it all became very real. You know, everybody says that being a founder is like, a, there are a lot of roller coasters. There was one week in particular where the roller coaster was swinging, you know, up and down from one day to the next. And that was a week where we had, we had received, where we thought we were about to close a deal and things changed pretty much overnight. I think once we realized that, you know, once I started kind of putting the pieces together around what was happening with the COVID environment and what was happening in the market and the financial market and what was happening in these deal conversations. I think that was when I started to realize that we needed to, that the year might not look the way I thought it was going to look. You know, actually I'm, I'm really fortunate because I'm part of a, a founder group called YPO and we had a forum get together. This was, I can't remember the date, but it was really when things were, were still pretty early. Nothing had been shut down yet, but this was in the news in China 
So this was probably like the first week in March or something around that time. And we started talking about coronavirus as a group. And so it started to actually really follow the sort of the science at that time. And we put a plan together at Roxbox in terms of when we would be encouraging people to work from home, when will we move to uh, required work from home. And I think that that Friday we went into the office and shared with everyone, hey guys, we want to have this three-step plan in place. Right now we're on kind of phase zero, no change to what's happening, but let's stay close and we will. this is what you can expect if things do change. And then that night I went out with my family. I remember we went to this really fun dance party and I got a notice on my phone while we were at the dance party that Mayor Breed in San Francisco had limited all community gatherings. And I think that was the first time I thought, holy shit, like, wow, this is a big deal. This isn't Wuhan. This is San Francisco. And this is the first step and really li- telling people they can't live freely like they're, they're allowed to do and they're used to doing. And I think, you know, when you see it in the news and it's happening so far away, I hate to admit it, but I think there's this sense of like, wow, those other places are doing those things. We would never do that. So there's this one thought of okay, that's a really naive way to think about things. And then obviously also just realizing, I think that really hit home for me when I realized that they were shutting down community gatherings and it happened so quickly. And I thought I was ahead of the curve. And so when that happened, I think I really started to realize if they're starting to close community gatherings, they're going to start closing retail shops. They're going to start closing restaurants. They're going to start closing warehouses I think at that point I started realizing this thing was going to play out and it was the combination of that and some of the term sheets drying up where I started to realize, I think those, those two moments were the two big moments for me where I realized both the business environment was changing and our social environment was changing pretty dramatically. So you have this realization, you're out with your family, suddenly realizing that the year is going to look a lot different than you had imagined and that the resources that you were counting on coming in through some of these um, strategic discussions uh, may not be there in the immediate term. What, what's the status of the team at that point? And you, you, have, you have a team both in San Francisco and elsewhere, is that right? Yeah, there, there was actually another moment too I should share and kind of gets to that point. So a few, I think it was two weeks later after the initial shutdown in San Francisco, we received notice that Ohio was also putting being put on a shelter in place. Ohio is important to us because that's where our warehouse is located. We have about 50 people there. We work with a third-party logistics partner, um, and there are about 50 people there that support the inbound and outbound flow of our jewelry shipments. Um, and so obviously, that's a core part of us functioning as a company. About two weeks later, after the San Francisco shutdown, was in place, we received notice that Ohio was also putting a shelter in place requirement out and that our warehouse was going to be shut down. So the next, that was on a Friday night and they said, this needs to be in effect as of the end of day Monday. So all weekend and all day Monday, we regrouped as a team to do what we needed to do to prepare for a shuttering of the warehouse for some undetermined amount of time. That included communication with our customers. It included um, securing jewelry, 
thinking about shipments. You know, there's a lot of things we had to think about. But in the matter of, you know, over the course of basically three weeks, all of our fundraising and partnership conversations had been put on hold. San Francisco was at the early stage of a lockdown and our warehouse was shut down, was shuttered for at least two weeks. That was obviously a lot of changes in a short period of time. And certainly through that, it became very clear that we needed to get a plan in place as a company to manage our cash flows and to be able to sustain a a serious crisis environment for undetermined period of time. We decided 24 months was the kind of magic number from a cash flow perspective, and we put together a plan to be able to weather that storm. So you're running a business that ships jewelry all over the country from Ohio, and where you have thousands of customers that are accustomed to receiving this jewelry on a monthly basis. What do you say to customers and how, how was the decision, how did you make the decision about how to treat the subscriptions during this interim period? We had a lot of conversations about how the customer experience, you know, how to, how to connect with our customers during this time. And we established some guiding principles around it. So one was we wanted to make, we wanted to be transparent, as transparent as we could be um, in an environment where the information is constantly changing. And so we thought, okay, the best way to do that, and, you know, we wanted to be respectful of, um, the fact that everyone is going through a lot right now. And so we thought the best way to do that was to make information about their membership and how we were handling the crisis readily available and easily accessible, Um, but in a way where we could constantly be updating it with new information. And so we chose to, you know, basically put it on the landing pages and our website, in the facts, at the bottom of all the emails that we send out. And we, and, and also, you know, we mentioned some of this on, Uh, our social channels as well. And so what we did was we basically anyone who returned their shipment or anybody that signed up, anyone who was supposed to get a new shipment out, we delayed their billing by two weeks and let them know, hey, our warehouse is closed. There's going to be a delay and we will delay your billing during that time. And I think that that's worked. I think that that's worked well. If there are any of your customers that are hearing some of this behind the scenes story for the first time, is there anything that you would be interested in sharing with them? You know, I think one of the things that um, I've realized is that I feel really lucky to be in a position where we're able to bring joy to people in a time like this. So I think from talking to a lot of our members during this time, and this was sort of another guiding principle was let's connect with our members and understand how we can serve them and how we can support them. This is a you know, a very trying time for everyone right now as a community, um, as a global community, but certainly as a country. And we wanted to understand how could we help people to feel good during this time? We learned that Rocks Box for women who love wearing jewelry and subscribe to our service, getting a box of jewelry in the mail is this really wonderful part of their day. And being able to wear your favorite earrings or wear something that makes you feel good and feel a little bit put together for your Zoom conference and your happy hours. That just brings an element of normalcy to your life and fun. Um, and so I think for for me, that's given me the real sense of purpose in this period of time. Um, and it's also, I think, really inspired and motivated our team to know, okay, this is a hard time. We all want to do something to help each other and, and to just sort of feel like we have an opportunity to send people jewelry and make them happy. Um, and to be sending um, notes, you know, these notes that are 
written specifically for one person and to be making these connections with people around the country right now. It just feels very special to be able to do that. And so I think for our members, I just want them to know that that's kind of what gets us out of bed in the morning and that we appreciate so much being uh, welcomed into their home in that way and having the opportunity to to do something nice. And I think that's kind of the main thing. I know from running an internet-based business myself for many years with customers all over the world, it's easy to lose touch with the humanity of the person on the other side of the order. And it sounds like this was a time of uh, connecting or reconnecting with the with the human piece of the service that Roxbox is providing. And what a beautiful thing and what a needed thing right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's been one of the silver linings of this whole experience um, that's kind of manifests itself in a lot of different ways. This idea of reconnecting and reconnecting. And also I think there's an element of reconnecting with what is most important in our lives. I, certainly I felt that both in terms of uh, the mission of my business and also connecting with my family, connecting very closely with my team. Um, moments like this, I think, really bring that focus. And that's been one of the most, I think, beautiful silver linings of this experience. Today's episode is brought to you by Pluto Pillows. In all of life's little ups and downs, sleep is perhaps your most important ally. Pluto provides a personalized pillow directly to your door. The only irony for me here is that I loved my Pluto pillow until my wife stole it, but now she loves it. Personalized for me, but no longer mine. Still a win for the family. Check out PlutoPillow.com. All orders receive free shipping and a 100-night guarantee. Today's episode is also brought to you by Sanity Labs. Sanity Labs provides founder and executive coaching designed by founders for founders. If you have considered hiring a CEO coach, but had a hard time finding one who really knew what it felt like to be in the founder or CEO seat, be sure to check out Sanity Labs. Sanity bridges leadership development with actual tactics for company building to ensure you are not alone in the hardest parts of your role. Visit sanitylabs.co for more details. That's sanitylabs.co. And now back to Meg. So alongside this time of refocusing on what it means to serve customers and to provide a touchstone of joy in the midst of people's days, it sounds like there was also a number of hard decisions present to allow for the continuity of the business and the, and the future security of, of cash flows and the ability to take care of the team. Would you be up for talking us through that decision and the implications for the team and what that was like for you as a CEO? I am. I'm, I am um, happy to share the decisions that we made and how we thought about them. You know, we, we did have to make a lot of quick, hard decisions in order to reshape the company in a way that we knew would survive through this crisis. Um, some of them were strategic. So we shifted our strategy as a business pretty significantly. Um, the business model works the same, but from a marketing perspective, we pulled back on our marketing spend and we hyper-focused our, our brand and marketing on specific customers that tend to be the most happy with the service and stay the longest, our best kind of best value customers. 
So we said, okay, guys, let's hunker down. Now is a time to really be focused. We're going to do fewer things exceptionally well. And that's kind of become a key mantra for, mantra for us during this time from a strategic perspective. We also had to make a lot of changes to the cost structure of the business. And so a key part of that included our operating costs. And we have gone through all of our operating costs and how we can make any adjustments there. And then we also did have to do a pretty significant reduction in our payroll cost. And that's, you know, that's obviously the hardest and one that we really, really wanted to avoid, but there was no way. There was no way to avoid that in order to survive. It's just too big a portion of our total cost to operate the business. How big was the Rocksbox team before this and what's the size of the team now? So we were 26 people before and now we're 17 in HQ. We ended up doing a 40% reduction in payroll through a combination of a reduction in force. And those were the nine people that we had to let go. We also did a furlough of one team for eight weeks. And then, and I also took a payroll cut. I took a salary cut also to help us hit that target to get us there. In times like this, you're also, I think a big part of it that happens a little bit behind the scenes is like, how do you decide how big of a cut you need to make? And one of the things that people I had heard before a bunch is, you know, how deep do you cut? And what I realized is that you often end up, I think, unfortunately cutting a lot more than you realize you have to initially in order to be able to, you, you don't want to do it again. That's kind of the bottom line. You don't want to have to do the, go back to the team and do this again. And it was important to me that after we made this cut, I could I could go back to the rest of the team and say we're not making any more cuts. We did we we are safe from a cash flow perspective and you don't have to worry about us coming back 2 months from now and saying, you know what, actually we need to cut further. And so we were pretty aggressive on um the cuts that we made for that reason. I'm so sorry that you and the team had to go through that. I just hearing you tell the story, although it's not the first time, I I can feel the tension in my chest. And the thoughts going back to my own experience of going through a layoff. And I know it's just a tremendously challenging time. So I'm sorry that you you and the team had to go through that. It was so hard, as you know, and, and you were a great friend and advisor to me through that. I think I was really struggling with my own how to manage my own emotions and how to be there for the team members that I was letting go and the team members that were staying. And I think, you know, it just, it sucks. Like these are people who you have come to really love, who have committed years of their career to working on this business together, working on this vision together. These are people who are talented and hardworking, who are losing their job through no, no fault of their own. And, you know, I mean, it's, I think it was the hardest week of my professional life so far was when um, that week where we had to make those cuts. Um, and I think the thing that you helped me remember when I was preparing for it was really to focus on, you know, I think you asked me, what is it that you think is most important to the person across the table from you when you're having these conversations? And that gave me so much clarity and helped me to really kind of get out of my own head. Cause I think in the, in that moment, what I realized is most important is just having clarity and kindness. It's not about me. As much as it was hard for me, it's way harder for the person across the table. And the best thing I can do is try to be clear, honest, and kind in those conversations. And then after 
do as much as I can in my power to help set them up for success going forward. But yeah, it, it was hard, you know, to be honest, it was hard. And I think a lot of founders, CEOs um, have had to make similar hard decisions in this environment. I, I do know that it was the right thing for the company and the only thing for the company. It's a, it's a pretty tough thing to have to go through. One of the toughest as a leader, for sure. And I think, you know, I've learned so much from through this experience. I've just been almost like blown away by the things that I've been learning like each and every week of this crisis. You know, to be honest, I remember thinking, I don't know if we can make it through this. Like, is this too much to ask of our team? I mean, we had a small, tight team and our our team is really extraordinary, very close, very hardworking. And I thought, how am I going to look these guys in the eye and tell them like they're friends, you know, they're happy hour buddies, they're co-workers that they've worked with for all these years. I just let nine of them go. And I just thought like, I don't, I don't know how people are going to take this. And it was hard. People were in shock. People were in shock. And it was hard for me to, I wanted to help everyone and there was nothing I could do. And I just had to let people process. I just had to give them time and space to process. And, you know, I'm really fortunate. I had had a lot of support from advisors and mentors and friends and that sort of thing. But one thing I've realized is just how strong people are and how much you can get through together. And I think that's been incredibly inspiring to me in this experience is to sort of, people just really amaze you in these times. I remember that we were, swapping text messages um, in the days after you went through the layoff. And one of the things that you highlighted was how surprised you were and how inspired you were with how the remaining team had rallied. I'm wondering if there were any lessons learned, particularly about going through this at a time where the whole team is distributed and this is happening over Zoom or telephone, if there were any lessons learned for you that might be helpful to others. Um, You know, one of the things, from a tactical perspective, I think we were very choreographed and very thoughtful about how the, how it was all going to go. We wanted to, you know, you want to be very thoughtful about this kind of thing. And so we really, we had each conversation, each layoff conversation we had over Zoom. Unfortunately, we couldn't have them in person. And then when those were done, we had an all hands with the remaining team and let everyone know what had happened and then said, and that was it. And said, like, tomorrow we're going to regroup and we'll talk about the future. But for today, just take the rest of the day off and process this. So we sort of let everybody know and knew that people were going to need, were going to be in shock and needed some time to process it before they were really ready to start thinking about the next, what's next. So I think that was, that, that worked well was sort of just giving people the space. And then we also had we had informed the leadership team, so the managers, that this was coming um, the day before. And after informing the remaining team, we had those managers check in with everybody on their team. And so, you know, we gave them space and we also gave them an opportunity to process it with their managers. And I think that also was really helpful. And so just kind of like creating the space for the actual processing of the emotions, I think really helped when it came time to say, okay, guys, now this is the plan. And, you know, we did this because this is what we have to do to survive. And then the next day we had an all hands where we really talked about looking forward and we shared the vision and we shared the 
the plan. We re-anchored on why this vision matters and why it matters right now. And this was hard because we were also, it was a crazy week. This was in the middle of the warehouse reopening post-shutdown. And so people were slammed. And then all of a sudden, half the people that were working with them weren't going to be there the following week. So there was a lot going on. But I think that having that space for processing was really important in order to be able to move forward and think about the future. Um, And, you know, I think there's another thing I've just been thinking about recently, too, which was uh, another mentor of mine shared with me. She said, you know, in times of crisis, you'll be surprised who leads. You know, you, you kind of sometimes you'll be surprised in these times of crisis who who leads. And what I've seen is that the people, everyone on my team has led us forward in some way. It's been, I, I've been such a reminder of leadership is not necessarily always at the top. People can lead from every role in the organization. And leading is about bringing a certain attitude to the company, how you influence the people around you, the way you show up, you know, the way you work through hard things, the way you reset after a hard day for the new day. Um, and man, I'm telling you, my team on these days, which were so hard, I really feel like I was just so inspired by how they they were affected and they they made it through okay. And they've been incredibly inspired. And that's been so inspiring for me, to be honest. I think I've been, I've just, I've been getting out of bed every morning and thinking like, I really want to work hard and I want to show up and I want to be the best leader that I can for this team right now through this. And they, they deserve that from me. So it's just inspired me to want to be an even better leader um, because of the way that they are showing up. So, so that's what I mean in terms of, you know, leadership, I think can happen in every part of the organization and in these times of crisis, I think those things are even more true. And how did you keep yourself optimistic and just moving forward in the middle of this when it sounds like you were managing both these incredibly difficult decisions as a leader at work and also managing a, 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 a a new version of home life where you've got three young children who are also adjusting to a lot of change. What what was all of that like for you? Well, yeah. Um, So to give you an idea of what was happening at home while, while all this, all these decisions were happening, all these conversations were happening. um, We have a nanny who has been working with us since my first son was born. So like five and a half years ago, we started we hired Velika and she is incredible. We're so lucky. She just fits with our family. We all get along really well. We work really well together um, very naturally. And so when the shelter in place order first hit, uh, we all decided that she should stay home. We live in San Mateo County and the law actually does allow for nannies, uh, but we decided that it would be better for her to stay home. I think at first initially we thought that she wasn't allowed to come anyway. So, and also we just wanted to say, okay, let's protect everyone here and give ourselves at least two weeks. Um, so during this time when all this was happening, we didn't have a nanny. That's kind of the short of it. And, uh, my husband works in private equity. He has also a very intense job. So we had three kids and two working parents, no support. And our jobs were both in a very intense moment. My husband is incredibly supportive and wonderful. And so during this week in particular, he was, we were just playing tag team on everything. But generally speaking, I would watch the kids until two 
And then at two, my workday would start. Two o'clock in the afternoon, my workday would start and I would work for the rest of the day into the evening. And that kind of happened for about two and a half weeks. And then this week when all this stuff was going on, we were just horse trading, you know, hours of the day here and there. He was incredibly supportive and making space for me to be able to be present with my team. And certainly, I don't know how I possibly could have done, you know, gotten through this time without that. You know, I think another another thing that I feel very fortunate about, and I don't know that I could have there are a couple, I've had an incredible support system. Fortunately, my head of people and my head of finance, the three of us work very, very well together. The head of people, she's been working at Roxbox for, I think, five years. And we have a relationship where I'm not afraid to say anything to her. Meaning like, if I'm having some secret deep fear, I can say it out loud and it's okay. And just being able to say something out loud kind of makes it easier to move past it. And so the three of us have kind of developed that dynamic, which has been great because whenever I'm really freaked out about something, I'll say, I'm really freaked out about this thing. And then suddenly it doesn't seem as scary anymore. Um, And then one of the others, usually the head of finance, because she's just a really wonderfully positive person, will sort of like reframe it in a way that's really helpful. But then on the other hand, you know, when one of them is sort of thinking like, I don't think I can take another conversation like this right now, you know, then like they have the, the safe space with me to express that out loud. And then it doesn't seem so scary anymore. And then we can move forward together. So having that dynamic with the three of us has been incredible. And I'm so grateful for that. I know how rare that is. And that just makes me want to fight even more for this company that I love. So that's been one of the, I think, really important things for me in terms of managing the psychology of all this. And then I've also been very fortunate to have some incredible advisors and mentors and friends. Um, Matt, you're one of them, where I can kind of take all this jumbled up emotion and thought and process it externally with you and put it, kind of organize it. That's been incredibly helpful. For people listening that perhaps don't have advisors that have been through something like this before, Is there anything in particular that's been grounding for you that they've shared? So if you're an external processor like me, I think finding people that you trust, where you feel comfortable being able to say things out loud in order to organize your thoughts and process through them, I think that's really important. On the tactical side, some of the most important advice was around kind of the choreography of things. So just thinking through, okay, how are you having the conversations? In what order? Who's going to be informed of what, when, you know, obviously you want to think through your severance package, you know, like what's your philosophy around that? For us, it was really important that we could be as generous as possible and that we could particularly be as generous as possible on the healthcare side during this time. Another tactical point, obviously, is it's really important to involve your board very early and make sure that you're all on the same page. That was something that I have a a really positive relationship with my board. And so They've been informed and involved of kind of these key decisions along the way. You don't want any surprises there and you don't want to be kind of hung up on moving forward because of that like late in the game. We also wrote scripts out for everything before we moved forward. I think that's really helpful because you really want to be thoughtful about what are the key points that you're going to make. I found it was really important to be very clear and to think about, okay, what is this person going to need to understand? Um, when you find out you're losing your job, it's a very scary moment. And so knowing what are the things that I can count on? What are the next steps? What does this mean for me? 
um, and then creating space for people to ask questions. Those things are all really important. And then, um, you know, I think it's for us, it was important that we could be helpful um, for anyone that was interested and wanted it, that we could be helpful on the other side. So we organized, uh, we made sure that everyone had several people writing LinkedIn recommendations. We've leveraged our investor network um, to get those individuals out there in front of other portfolio companies that might be hiring. You know, just think about the resources that you have and how you can help make those available to people that you're letting go. So those are some of the tactical things for us. On the other side, on sort of the emotional management side, I think the key thing there is really having the safe space to process because you need to you do need to be strong when you go into the conversation with these individuals, with your managers, with the team. That's the time for you to be there for those people. And for me, in my experience, what I need to do, the work I need to do in order to show up the way I want to show up for others is I need to create space to process stuff on my own. Because if I'm still carrying all of that, then I can't be there for other people. And so I have people that I'm close to where I can safely process things so that I can be strong on the days where I need to be. Um, And so I think that's really important too, is being strong for others. First, you have to take care of yourself and have some safe places where you can do that, whatever that looks like for you. And I, I think it's, you know, it's a very challenging time. It's always really important to make space for your own processing in order to show up your best on these, on these days. I have a huge smile on my face listening to you talk. I feel we, we met, I think, a few months into running both of our businesses. And I, I kind of feel like we came up together as leaders. And um, just the clarity and conviction and thoughtfulness with which you talk about all of these things, uh, I, I'm finding very inspiring. And what a beautiful example that we are in such dire need of today in our country of a leader who's willing to step up and process her own shit first so that she can be present and hold space for others of developing a high trust leadership team where people can actually share what they're going through of being thoughtful and compassionate, even in the most difficult times. I'm just very inspired by this conversation. So I want to, want to thank you for that. Oh, thank you, Matt. You know, you mean so much to me and I've learned tremendously from you and our relationship is part of my story as a founder and CEO is um, growing from our lengthy conversations about all the things that we're experiencing. Thank you for creating this podcast. I I wish I had something, something like this earlier on in my journey as a founder uh, because these are sort of hard learned lessons on my path in terms of creating, prioritizing the space to process myself, investing in relationships where I can have these kinds of deep conversations, thinking about sort of the emotional side of the job and not just the tactical side of the job. And so I think it's awesome that you're, that you're being a leader in this way and normalizing this stuff for other folks. So I'm really excited to be a part of it and I'm excited that you're putting it out there. Thank you. It only works if people are courageous enough to talk about the hard things. And um, I, I don't know many leaders courageous enough to step up this recently after very difficult decisions and have the courage and clarity to talk about them. So thank you for making the impossible possible on that front. Oh, thanks, Matt. Do the best. That's today's episode. Reminder to please follow and review us wherever you get your podcasts. 
Your positive reviews really are our lifeblood. Lastly, if you have any questions or topics you'd like covered in an upcoming episode or any feedback at all, please email us at questions at thesanitypod.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening. We're so glad you did.